The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, you're not Lawrence. Neither are you. Where's Lawrence? I think he's on an airplane. Yeah, he is. Lawrence? You? He's on an airplane? Jeez. Well, aren't we usually going to... Where's the joke? Is there any joke? Uh, it's no joke. Lawrence is on an airplane. You don't have a joke? I don't have a joke. Uh, maybe I could come up with a joke. All right, go for it. No, I don't have a joke. <laughs> well, all right. Well, I guess since Lawrence isn't here, we should say .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. You can order your copy now at www.franklins.net. And I suppose we should mention our other sponsors too, huh? Yeah, that's a good idea. Like Telerik. They combine the best in Windows Forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. You want to find them online at www.telerik.com. And I guess we should mention Code Magazine, too, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's the leading independent magazine for .NET developers online at code-magazine.com. And uh, I I got no joke, man. No joke? And here's the guy with no joke. I think this is the first time that I've ever done an intro to this show, an announcement. (laughs) Really, honest to God, I don't think I've ever done this before. Oh, well, there you go. 502 shows. We've got to have some leeway sometime. Well, anyway, so yeah, Lawrence is on a plane. He, uh, he's, uh, he's He's picking up some work, doing some video or something. Nice. Yeah, so he's out gallivanting all around the world. And uh, we should just talk a little bit about this show, because this was an interesting show. We're introducing the My.NET Story Contest. Right. Yeah. So the idea is that if you have a .NET application that you want to tell a story about, you go to my.netstory.com, you enter in the details, and you could win if you get uh, if your application gets chosen as the winner, as the first place. If you win first prize. So you'll get a either a trip to the Galapagos or a smart car. Personally, I'd take the trip to the Galapagos, but that's just me. Yeah, and me too. Yeah. Last week at the PDC, we talked to the uh, the first round of contestants in the show, and that's what we're going to play now. So let's roll the tape. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell here at the PDC on the show floor. Yes, sir. And it's uh, the first day that the PDC floor has been open, and things are a little crazy around here, but it's all good. It's still yellow. We're talking to Al Perez from Total Computer. Hi, Al. Pleased to meet you guys. So... You, you were part of the contest here, the One.NET contest. Tell us about your your app or your, your entry as it is. Uh, what we did at Total Computer is create a product called Total Enforcement, which is a, a .NET 3.51 SP1 application, smart client, that um, uses this built with WPF, 
We use the WCF Peer Channel, and uh, it's everything XAML. All the graphics are XAML, and it's absolutely state-of-the-art. And the last thing we did was port everything to Azure. What does it do? It, it's a records management computer-aided dispatch system for law enforcement public safety. For finding the perps? It does it. In a big way, yeah. So you're actually just taking in all the data that's out there and, and doing analysis? Every, exactly. It's got very strong case management, so it'll do an investigation and it'll do a complete and thorough data collection. So this is like Interpol on your desk. Yes, yes. And uh, it does interagency data sharing, and it's 100% mobile. The same application actually is works from your police car with any type of network connection that you have. It even works in an offline state for data collecting. Wow. Yeah. It's very, very So cool you're pushing way. this app all the way into the car? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's 100% into the police vehicle. Yeah. It's, Sweet. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the same MSI install, whether it's for your desktop or the police vehicle, is actually the same. Nice. Yeah. And all .NET? 100% managed and highly, highly object-oriented. Were it's got you a very able, strong uh, inheritance model, yes. Were you able to leverage Silverlight in any way since you were WPF? We are going to be big time into Silverlight, uh, probably with the release next quarter of Silverlight 4. Nice. Yeah, yeah. that's exciting. It's very, it's, it's wild, Silverlight, what they're doing. So, yeah, Silverlight 4 out of browser specifically or what you're looking for or in oh, browser? Actually, what we do with browser-based technology is there's a browser-based control within our application, the .NET environment, actually, that and anything that we need to do, like, for example, any integration with Bing mapping, we do within within that environment. So we actually, .NET has a browser control in it. Right. So, so you always work that way, whether on the desktop or, or actually any other form? Actually, we both work both ways. Within a WPF application, a WPF uh, window, so to speak, mm-hmm. and then from there, it could actually instantiate a browser control. So what does WPF bring to the app for you that makes it better? Why are these over WinForms? What a great question. Uh, Why not WinForms? WPF is a new paradigm in user interface design that uh, a lot of people actually don't comprehend what it means. So let me give you a for instance. Screen resolutions are ever increasing. Screen displays are zooming up in size constantly. So with a WPF app, you doesn't can actually, matter. yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, in other words, you can be at 2048 by whatever, and you instantiate that window, and our windows actually open up based on screen resolution. Right. So, it opens up 85% of the size of its parent yeah, window. Yeah, that was a kludge in older versions of, you know, yeah, in Windows it, Forms, you'd have to use a resize or control. Exactly. And, it's, yeah. It goes out third party, and it could get glitchy. That's why the docking and... and, yeah. uh, and uh, It's difficult yeah, in, it in WinForm technology. Very popular. Yeah, with WPF, you just, it's like a whole new experience, you know, and it is a, a new way to, to develop things. Are you uh, taking advantage of any 3D elements in WPF? Uh, I'm not sure if we're taking advantage of it. I'd have to actually look or think about if we're taking advantage of anything 3D-wise. Like rotation of objects or anything like that, or are you just we do that actually. Videos, yeah, that, that we do that through the, the Bing mapping control oh. in okay. the 3D feature of the Bing map control which is uh, 6.2 or above, probably earlier versions supported it as well. But through that, yeah, we, we, have, we pull in all that 3D functionality. And my experience working with law enforcement is they're not real technical guys either. So i got to no. think the, the trick of building a UI that they're going to understand fairly intuitively. Yeah. So one of the advantages of like these smart clients and WPF and all these new technologies is that you can really make a user interface 
that is very, very interactive. For example, we have a UI where we have buttons across the top and the side, mm -hmm. and those buttons actually illuminate, and they illuminate in a very, very unique and graceful way. And there's even a little number under the graphic, which is XAML, and that'll even tell you the number of data collections within that button. So you know where you are even in that user interface because the button is illuminated like a light telling you where you're at in, uh, in that interface. That's cool. So you mentioned cloud as well. Is your plays a role in this app? Yeah, without a doubt. So like you, like you stated accurately, um, technical resources can be a problem in pu public safety. Right, After right, all, yeah. It, it's not just the, 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 the law enforcement officer himself right. is not into it, but you don't have much of an IT infrastructure in the average police station. It's a big problem. Sure. And, you know, it's just not their business. Right, yeah. Even though sometimes uh, some individuals try to make it their business or what have you. It's, a, it's just a tough thing to, to master, be on top of, mm -hmm. maintain. There's dollars involved, expertise, training involved, experience. You know, that list, you guys know. So that list goes on and on. So let's, let's look at what the, the problem is very often is infrastructure. Infrastructure mm -hmm. is a problem. Uh, Especially getting it off the ground. Getting it off the ground. The cloud solves all of this. So now what you could do is redundancy to your connection and just think of what you can do. You can have like a, a, a a, an EVDO air card mm -hmm. connected via USB to a computer, and that could be now a failover connection, and you can actually be online with our application still to the be cloud able to work yeah. and still be able to work. So you, you know you could you could go with multiple ISPs, have that as a third point of failover, and the cloud just doesn't go down. Well, and it gets back to, and you don't have to worry about backing up the data, like all nope. of that's handled. Right. And scalability is a dial-up thing. I mean, right. where what infrastructure can you go and actually spin up machines? You know, based on demand. Yeah, it's a dialogue thing. You still have to watch it. You still have to. Yes. You have to pull the trigger. It doesn't do it automatically. Exactly. Exactly. It's still, it's pretty compelling. Um, what about the security side of this? I mean, well, Microsoft will be doing some white papers uh, as a security model on mm -hmm. this product specifically because it's such an interesting vertical. Sure. Where security is uh, so important. You know, and just to point out things about security in the bank and finance industry. Mm-hmm. You're not doing a VPN to go and get that information, really. Right. Know? So even if it's not cloud-based, which some of it actually is, and, and other types of clouds, it's still public domain. It's still sure. out there, that entire industry. So if uh, if the banking and finance industry can be out there, why can't anybody else's why data? Why can't the yeah, law enforcement ought to be able right. to make it work it as well? It should be able to work, right? Sure. Yeah. So, and you, I think you've got to get to some pretty big scales here. I mean, there's a lot of cars out on the on the roads. Um, what kind of installations have you done? Yeah, well, actually, uh, the latest one, and we can announce it now, is that we won is King County, which is the county of Microsoft Redmond. Right, right. Yeah, that King yeah, County. Bellevue, Redmond, that whole That's area right. is King County. The King County uh, itself, the King County Sheriff's Department, will be running this software. Nice. Watch, out, yeah. Watch out, level. Watch out. So yeah. uh, how many cars? How big is the installation? Um, I really don't know exactly. Uh, they probably have about 1,200 or 1,400 users, wow. I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing uh, could be probably over 1,000 desktops. I'm not really sure, but it's, it's up there. And the beauty of this application is, is that it scales to anything. So let me ask you this. How long did it take? Very rapid application curve. Uh, so did you start with WPF experts or did you no. train them? We got some really good books on WPF. And one of the very important things about how we developed this application is that uh, we use the Rocky Lotka CSLA 
Awesome. I guess. You guys know The Rock. We know The Rock. You better believe it. A regular guest on our show. It's nice to hear a CSLA shot. So uh, that's the foundation of, uh, that's a building block component. that? His business objects are a building block component. Nice. Of what we have, and you know that lends itself to scalability and uh, an inheritance. No classes in WPF, no training classes. Just book. You just read the books and figured it out. Wow, I don't want to say you need talented people, but yeah. I do want to say it's great to have them. And yeah. uh, my development team is is just just they're just unbelievable people. Any dedicated designers? Actually, I have one. She's 19 years old, wow. going to college, mm-hmm. right? And. Ah. Uh, Imagine yeah, that. and she was always into photography. That Sarah's her name, and she was always artsy. And uh, her brother's also one of uh, one of our strong developers as well. Brilliant, brilliant kid. Even though he's in his twenties, I call him a kid. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I got shoes older than exactly, you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's truth to that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that being said, um, yeah, she's she's the one that really does the XAML for us, and she's got an artistic eye, so it really, really helps. So she, yeah, you're going to say the same thing. Yeah, she she's picked up Blend, blend. and off yeah. she went. Yeah, she's Blend. She's into Illustrator, Corel Draw, and Blends. Nice. Yeah, and Expression Blends. God bless yeah. America. Yeah, no, seriously, yeah. that's a great success story. Yeah, she's very, very, she's good. She's innovative too. And so she works side by side with the developers. Is sort of an iterative process. She's in the process. room. She's yeah. with the development. And team, how many yeah. developers? Not a lot. About eight. Wow. Yeah, did all and, this. And you said very rapid. What What do you mean? Like months? Uh, weeks? I could tell you that in probably about five or six weeks, we took the entire product and got about ninety six, ninety seven percent of it on the Azure. Wow. And it's a huge application, and I mean gigantic. No kidding. Yeah. And less than two years to create this completely in .NET 351 SP1 WPF. So are, how are, are you doing sort of a cross-case analytics as well, looking at trends in crime, those sorts of things with that data? Yeah, we do crime analysis. Mm-hmm. We do interagency data sharing. We do statistics. We do uh, – in, in Bing mapping, you're able to create a polygon any size, like you could create a polygon that wraps the United States or an entire continent sure. and then say, okay, give me all the burglaries within this polygon and you right. get pins that pop up. From the pin, you can hover over it, click on the pin, and then click on the actual record for that, oh, that crime is so type. Cool. It's, it's something to be seen, to be appreciated. So do you do a lot of the, the how are you doing your analytics? Is that a particular set of algorithms? Are you using like business intelligence software or anything in particular? It's nothing in particular. Okay. It's a variety of ways. So you have statistical reports that you run on basically within date ranges. Mm-hmm. Then you have statistical reports that you run on areas, jurisdictions, mm-hmm. precincts, posts, crime type. Then you have statistical analysis that you do on basically on felonies, misdemeanors, right. and even violations like speeding and all that type of, of mm-hmm. stuff. So, And then you even connect to interagency data sharing and other intelligence analysis systems. So you tend to pull in data into your system from there? And- you try, what we try to lean towards is doing it in what's called a federated manner so right. you don't have to sure. actually replicate these gigantic databases. And a lot of, um, a lot of states and a lot of um, agencies are like actually doing that where they warehouse data and, and uh, I try to, try to lean away from doing that. It gets very, very heavy and it gets yeah, very, very costly. Yeah, why store more, right? Why store more? Yeah, Just access- query it and, and combine it. Query it where it is, right? You know, and Makes keep sense. the course down and and everything else. So, oh, so this is yeah. a very interesting app, and I've yeah. got to tell Rocky. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I'm supposed to meet the Rock. I hope I do. He's and, around. Yeah, he's around. Yeah. He's around. Yeah. Hope, hopefully, well, I get to that's see him. Fantastic, Al. Well, good yeah. luck in the contest. Thank you and, very uh, much. And uh, thanks for thanks for being here. I 
greatly appreciate being here. I just want to let you guys know that I've listened to your show for years. Thanks. I'm amazed I'm here myself. Thank you very much. All right. Excellent. Okay. Hey, this is Rich Campbell, Carl Franklin here at the PDC 2009 uh, with Tom Steinhoff. Are you calling yourself Richard Campbell now? Yes. So we've had a real run the past few weeks of people mixing us up. It happened again last night twice. Yeah, I saw that. It's very funny. Yeah. Somebody came up to me and said, hey, Richard, how you doing? So I just gave up. And you came into the room. I said, hey, it's Carl Franklin. <laughs> it didn't help. You're not helping now. Anyway, we're here with Tom Steinhoff. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? Pretty good. And you're one of the contestants in the 1.net show. I am. I'm the, I'm the one with the sunglasses. I see. Where are they? The big Hollywood type. Oh, they're in my pocket. Oh, they're in your pocket. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that explains my confusion. So tell us about your app. Um, we, uh, we're the world's largest executive search firm. And uh, we've been in, this is, we're just celebrating our 40th year. And nice. uh, we decided we wanted to rewrite our application from the ground up. So we uh, uh, used the latest .NET tools, WPF, uh, uh, WCF, and uh, um, completely created a world-class application that uh, we track about 6 million executives worldwide. Wow. Um, so uh, anybody who's anybody is in our databases. This is the ultimate headhunters tool? Is that what you're Ultimate talking? headhunters tools. We, have, uh, we, we work in 40 countries, so it's uh, all over the world. Um, so how many uh, uh, users, how many of your people are using the app at we any given time? We have just about 2,000 employees. Okay. And... Uh, we have, we have databases all over the world. We we have an infrastructure that actually allows people to go leave their resume online. And then uh, since most of our work is, is local work in the countries, we actually, within a within a minute or so of you logging out, we uh, write, the, write the resume back to the uh, database in the local country. So is it a service-oriented architecture? Uh, it is in a bit. Um, we, we do have uh, what we call a broker. That, that sits in the middle that um, that connects and bundles up the uh, uh, the database requests. We found that uh, actually the uh, the the trip from ODBC trip back and forth to the database. The further you make that, you uh, if your user is in Singapore and your database is in Los Angeles, I mean, bad things happen. Bad things happen. We we wanna we wanted a message uh, somewhat of a message based architecture. Yeah. But with WCF, we actually uh, can retrieve and and bring back um, uh, full objects. So uh, so these databases are redundant. Then they're they're, do, uh, it's they're not replicated. Redundant. Uh, it's it's more of a kind of a star architecture where the the data that comes into the website. Uh, is then pushed only to the countries that it makes sense to oh, push I see. it to. And so typically, I mean, a guy in Singapore, you should store his data in Singapore because he probably wants to work in Singapore. Yeah, most of the most of the data in Asia is actually stored in Singapore. So okay. uh, people from Hong Kong connect to Singapore. Singapore is one of our biggest uh, biggest so offices. If an Asia. executive moves from one country to another, does the data move with him? Uh, if, if, uh, if, if it makes sense, it doesn't automatically move. Right. Uh, if they go and they change their country information, uh, when the write back happens, it will write back to that new country. That's pretty smart. Yeah. It's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool application. 
the WCF side here, are you going down the, the uh, WS star standards here? Is it just a basic HTTP binding, nothing too weird? Uh, no, we, we found the HTTP binding a little bit slower. Okay. Uh, so we do a TCP binding. Nice. Uh, ends up being a lot faster. We also, because we have such long distances, potentially. Right. Because uh, we still allow people in Singapore, users in Singapore, though they can connect to their database, uh, with a very quick change, they can connect to Los Angeles. So they're actually connecting to a broker in Los Angeles uh, that is bundling their database request, compressing the message. Uh, we actually uh, compress it on both sides. We found that the overhead of compression actually uh, makes up for uh, makes totally. up for it in latency for sure. Um, yeah. So yeah. we compress all the conversations uh, going back and forth, and when they retrieve it, they decompress it and they can bind directly because they're true objects and they're true objects with a full hierarchy tree as long as we uh, um, as long as we serialize them properly so it seems to me really the code doesn't reflect the fact that this is a distrib an, a, a geographically distributed database it just works that way yeah we, we try to we, we try to make it so that the user gets their work done right they don't necessarily care where the data is of course uh, but they want the they want their local data faster you know 80 percent of their sure. work is local. It's all going to be local. And I was yeah. thinking exactly that. The majority of work is going to be off the local data and in ex- to the expense of the few times that you need to query across a large area, right. it's going to, uh, to be a little slower for that. But that right. seems like an exception query rather than sure. the routine one. Sure. Uh, eventually, yeah, everybody has this utopia feel of a uh, global database. And yeah. uh, we're always planning. It. Our two-year plan always involves a, a global database. Next year, uh, again, a two-year plan, we actually may start thinking about it with Azure. Uh, because one uh, of our, my next question, yeah. One of our biggest problems uh, with, we, we, we have all the problems of a huge company. You know, we have mm. date, multi-dates, multi-currency yeah, um, T- tons of time zones. Yeah, all these time zones, users all over the place. Mm-hmm. But I've only got, say, 25 people in Norway. Right. Um, I, I do want a global database. But in order for me to pass all that data over a WAN, I have to have these big, fat WAN connections everywhere. Well, and also just maintaining the IT infrastructure in a 25-person office. That right. seems kind of nutty. Well, really. we are. You know, we have centralized our database access in Europe, but okay. I still have to have a WAN connection to, to London. Yeah, definitely um, for a smaller database, the pay-as-you-go model seems to Well, so for Azure, um, yeah. with Azure, the nice thing is they, they can point directly to the, uh, to the Internet. Right and uh, you know let Microsoft deal with getting the data to them in a in a, in a robust and uh, uh, localized fashion. Is it localized? Um, a lot of it would be, uh, but if if Azure is dealing with some level of uh, replication, mm-hmm. and we could say set up a replication model where there is a replication center in Europe, at least we're paying for just very high-speed connections to the Internet, right? not having to deal with our, our WAN infrastructure. What does the front end look like? Uh, the front end is beautiful. It's all uh, WPF. Um, wow, nice. We, we took over. Um, we, we looked at, when we were designing it, we have lists and lists of candidates. As, as we build up mm-hmm. a uh, uh, what we call a source list, is a list of candidates that could be available for a position, we may end up with hundreds, uh, hundreds if not thousands in some cases, um, of of candidates, and so we wanted to look for what is the best, what is the world class list based application out there, 
And so certainly Outlook is the most successful list-based application of all time. So we base the interface a bit around Outlook to make it familiar. However, Outlook 2007 didn't end up with a ribbon on, on the top. Right. And we loved the so ribbon. you added it. So we actually added the ribbon. No kidding. Um, so you can look at a list of candidates and across the top imagine a ribbon with company engagement executive. So now if you want to select a bunch of executives and look at, say, their company, you can click to the ribbon tab, select a bunch of them, and click company, and now you have a list of companies, all the companies that that executive worked for. That's very slick, and I bet the users love that. Oh, they love it. Yeah, it's, it, it actually simplifies things tremendously. And uh, so you know, we try to make it super functional. We try to have um, what we call a, a, th- a three-level interface. So it's superficial and easy to get done what you really want to do. Power users have another level, and superpower users uh, have yet another level where you know, maybe the individual user doesn't really know they can click on another ribbon tab to right. drill further. But the power user knows, and the superpower user has a fast key. So, so um, how, how long did the development take? Um, well, it took a little bit just to, uh, it, it, we worked on it just about six months to get the first level. Mm-hmm. We're just about ready to shut down the old application. Mm-hmm. Um, so total time, I think, is probably about a year. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a pretty long user acceptance testing. Yeah. Um, we also, because of our distributed infrastructure uh, and our distributed database, we really have to work about, or um, we really have to worry about backwards compatibility. Right. You know, we can't have a big bang cutoff. We no, have, no. We have 17 databases, and and we have people that absolutely need to keep their work going. Well, and it sounds like the whole business operates from this app. Like, this is the business. Yeah, this is the business. Mm-hmm. So when we uh, did the big, you know, when we came out with the, the new version, which was complete WCF, WPF, total, total rewrite from the ground up, it absolutely had to work on the same database right. as the application that's written in VB6. Nice. Um, so uh, that, that's really the only way we could ensure that we're successful is you know, no big knife switches. So uh, right now, you're literally running in parallel. You've got people with the old app up absolutely. and the new app up side by side. Absolutely. Did you use a test-driven development approach to working uh, on we this? We didn't. Uh, we, uh, we have a very small test And yet team. you shipped and it's bug-free? Well, Imagine I wouldn't that. say bug-free. <laughs> you know, there, there are certainly bugs. Uh, Certainly bugs also in concept if, if, yeah. if we, we thought something would be intuitive and easy, but it wasn't. Uh, we've gone back and rewritten it. But, yeah, it uh, sounds like the sort of key element to this is the new UI. I mean, it's got to be very challenging to use these very new tools and, and actually re-envision the right interface for this app. Or, yeah, it, it was a big challenge. It, mm-hmm. it, it absolutely was. The other big thing we did is uh, the search engine. You know, People kept clamoring for a new search engine saying, oh, you should just get Google. You should just, and, you know, Google works great for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Google and Bing. I put right. in a plug for Bing. Yeah, for the. <laughs> works great for um, what, what it does. But in terms of uh, searching a database of executives, um, we didn't just want to do what essentially would be a full text search. Yeah. Um, so we completely, our biggest investment was in UI. And also in the search engine, our search engine is pretty. So I imagine you can take any of those parameters of of you know of the executive and search on those and in groups. Uh, yes, very flexible and then searching. multiply that by a hundred uh, because you can also uh, you can also weight any uh, any criteria. 
Plus, uh, we create what we call our secret sauce, which is uh, we, uh, we take how many years of uh, experience they have, uh, how deep is their relationship with us, mm-hmm. how many engagements have they been on, um, what level of education they have, and we try as best we can to supplement whatever weighting the uh, user is giving um, with, uh, uh, w- with our secret sauce to help come up with a ranking. Uh, the users don't know what it is. They don't know how it works, kind of like uh, Bing or Google. It right. just sort of works. Uh, but it does have the uh, ability to bubble up the, the, the people they should be talking to. Yeah, I mean, in the end here, the goal is to get the right person in the right role in an organization. And right. that's a fairly tough thing to do. And right? it's not yeah, easy. It, to, it was to a get pretty right exciting thing. In, in our first uh, training, when we actually had real search consultants in the training, mm-hmm. it, it, we found that as we got into the, teaching the search engine, the whole class kind of ground to a halt because uh, they started filling their own searches. They started seeing, uh, doing searches and, and, and running queries, and they just kind of got lost and stopped paying attention to the teacher because right. they were started doing their work. Yeah, in a so way excited to see done. what they've got there. They just go, right. I've seen that in, in other classes where you, you literally lost the class because they were so excited about what they just learned. Right. They're now working. Yeah. They're no longer learning. Yeah, the search engine uh, is definitely a big hit. And how many developers? Uh, we have a very small team. Uh, the economy forced it even smaller. Um, we have probably a total of eight developers. Wow. Uh, but the economy actually pushed that down. I think we have about three now, and we're coming out with our 2.0 version. And were they WPF ninjas before they started, or did they no, start there's clean no on such WPF? Thing. It, it, people came, uh, we came. We started when WPF, um, we, we had a version of it when WPF uh, mm. was in beta. Okay. And there was no such thing as a WPF ninja. Right. We tried to bring in a WCF ninja. <laughs> and uh, um, got some help there. Yeah, a company called Nudesic got got some okay. great help there. Um, but yeah, we they certainly ended up ninjas. You know, awesome. it's, a, it's a wild, uh, wild training. And did you use a dedicated designer for your app design as well, or was it uh, somehow I ended up being the dedicated designer? Did you really? Yeah, I, I do a quite a bit of graphic design. I was going to say is, must uh, have a background in that. No, not really. I, I've been a developer all my life. Okay, and uh, I just have a real well, not yet in anyway. Photoshop. Uh, <laughs> well, and I think it is a, a, a skill that you acquired. What does a good visualization look like? And if you spend some time at Photoshop, I I've guess been that staring helps. at interfaces my whole life. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I started as a developer when I was uh, 13. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I've been, I was a one man shop up until I was probably 25. Yeah. Uh, huh. So uh, I ended up doing everything from manuals to screen design to well, that makes sense. training and everything. So. And, and so you spent a lot of time in Blend over the course of this? Uh, I did spend some time in Blend. Um, I ended up, we ended up um, not using a lot of the, uh, uh, in WPF you can absolutely have a bunch of these uh, templates. Mm-hmm. And we found that the application got uh, quite slow and it became more difficult to reuse. So we ended up um, uh, writing most of our, coding most of our WPF. Uh, so that we could get real inheritance. Hand-coded uh, XAML in Notepad kind of thing? Well, not necessarily text Notepad. Oh, text it, editor. Yeah, text editor. Yeah. Um, so we could get real inheritance out of it mm-hmm. and uh, get some real reuse out of it um, and, and get much more control. Our, our, our screens were, 
we, we try to have a lot of reuse. If we have a business card, the business card is throughout the entire application. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have a drop-down combo of a list of employees, uh, that same drop-down combo with the beautiful text as you search is available everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so we found that we got the best performance by actually writing it by hand. I think the newer version is, is certainly better at it, but when we started, our habits uh, were kind of set in stone. There. I think I just coined a new uh, acronym, POXO, plain old XAML. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pox, maybe. Pox, yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> well, Tom, thanks so much for talking to us. It sounds oh, like a great application. Me. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. Hey, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here on the show floor of PDC 2009. Yes, sir. And uh, one more day to go, I think. And didn't we just hear a crazy announcement? Yeah. Uh, They gave away a free laptop to every attendee of PDC. It was just announced. I don't know the details. I saw Mark Mercury in the expo hall, and he was watching it live. Right. We're, of course, working. We're not watching the keynote. No, but that happens to us all the time, doesn't it? Yeah, so that's why Acer sponsored the PDC. They're giving a free laptop of some kind. HDMI output, multi-touch, uh, you know. That, that's just amazing. Camera. It's uh, amazing that, they could, that they're offering uh, laptops. Thousands and thousands of laptops. It's crazy. Yeah, I that remember saying just getting uh, keychains when you go to a, a convention. <laughs> now we're getting uh, laptops. This is a big keychain. It's nice. So, uh, Michael Kalili, hi. 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 Nice to meet you. And um, you're involved in the One.net contest for your application. What is it? My application, it's called Yappler.com, and it's an iPhone app directory. What is it called? Yappler. Y-A-P-P-L-E-R. Yappler. Sounds like a communications uh, piece. Yeah. uh, What I do is I'm an online version of basically the App Store. I spider the App Store. And uh, take all the app directory, the listing, the categories, and just make a web version of it. Um, it's easier to search on the web. I think uh, faster search on the web. Uh, Google comes up. Uh, if you search in Google, I can come up. and. Um, the whole point here is you don't have to run iTunes, right? That's it. That's and the main thing is that iTunes has, well, issues. Yeah, on, uh, on lots of machines it's slow, and that's one of the reasons why it's, it's just an, an application, and it's something else that you need to fire up. Right. When you just want to search for an app sometimes, you, you already have your browser open, you just point it to a web address, and now you can just do a quick search. My, my first question is, is there like a feed? Is there a REST interface? Can we like program against this? So I played around with the idea of uh, developing an API. Mm-hmm. The trouble is I, I, had, um, I wanted to commit. So I didn't want to set up an API, have people develop against it, and then end up uh, abandoning it. Right, breaking them. Yeah, right. And so I wanted to make a commitment. But, so I played around with the idea. I emailed some people to see if there was interest. There was no interest. But if, any, if anybody has interest, I'm happy to offer an API. So this isn't necessarily, as Richard was uh, talking about, a replacement for iTunes. This is if you have an iPhone. And you see, I don't, I have an iPhone, Richard doesn't. So you go to an app store icon on the phone and search there, and it does take a long time. This is really for iPhone apps, right? This is, yeah, this is essentially the directory of all the apps, the 100,000 apps that are in App Store. I just made a copy of them. Not necessarily for content that's at the Apple Store on iTunes, though, right? Well, it has the full descriptions, the names, the categories, uh, everything that you find on iTunes. And even some comments. So I take uh, some user comments that are on But iTunes. music and video and TV and no, all those. I, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, I see. Just, just for iPhone apps. apps. Okay. Right, exactly. 
It is crazy that there's over 100,000 iPhone apps already. It's, it's amazing how it accelerates. On my website, I keep track because I get a daily breakdown of what's going on. Sure. I do uh, history and have uh, stats on my website mm-hmm. to show it is such a sharp line that goes up every day. It gets sharper and sharper on the way up. Yeah. And I see that you have a, a sort of tag. What do they call it when, the, when they have the tags in different size fonts? Tag cloud. Tag cloud, yeah. So before, um, before iTunes offered uh, keywords to their customers, I got the idea to use a uh, Yahoo API that would get tags um, pulled out of content. So I used that API to create, a, to create tags for each app mm-hmm. and then made a tag cloud of the popular um, categories. So let's say I found you know, Flippin' Monsters or something like that. It says it's 99 cents. There isn't a way that I can download that here on my PC and transfer it to the iPhone, is there? No, there's a download button on every um, listing that mm-hmm. will take you then directly to the App Store. So when you're ready to buy, if there's an app that you want to find out more about, you can then go ahead and, and load up the App Store. But if you're just browsing or just want to look up an app that somebody else was talking about. So you associate this with your iPhone somehow, and then when you go, you load up your, you pull up your iPhone, go to the App Store, it's there waiting for you? Um, so... If you would just click the button, it's, it would be as if you were browsing in the App Store. So it would take you directly to the App Store Oh, page. in the App Store in iTunes. Yes, that's right. I see. I got it. So it's just like a regular App Store link that you right. would get from anybody taking you to that app. Yeah, I, I usually don't use iTunes for finding iPhone apps. I just search on my iPhone. It's right. typically what I do. ASP.net for the whole thing, huh? ASP.net, yeah, and uh, SQL backend. Okay, and are uh, you using web forms or MVC or what, what particular uh, just, form are you Just using? forms, just straight up, uh, just ASPX pages, and uh, I group them together, and there's my, there's my website. Uh, I come from a background of just uh, single page uh, websites, so I don't think of my website as uh, individual applications. I just think of the whole thing as it is uh, page by page. Sure. Uh, and how busy have you gotten here? Because this sounds like a great resource. I've gotten, uh, I've gotten written up by New York Times, mm-hmm. CNET, um, I think uh, PC World has wrote about uh, uh, me Excellent. a little bit. It, it's pretty exciting when, when you uh, see the Google uh, alert come up that, uh, you know, mentioned again. And uh, what, what um, a product that I launched recently was an app that you can download to your computer that will make a list of all your iPhone apps and then share, give you a web version of it so that right. you can share with your friends. So if you want to see the apps that I have or if I want to see the apps that you have, we don't have to sit there looking over each other's shoulder, scrolling through the nice. list. You can make a list using my, uh, my application. Sure, and it, it turns into a recommendation engine. And all these people are running this out. Exactly. Well, you know, the fact that you did this with web forms is great because, you know, everybody's like all about the latest technology of ASP.NET, MVC and stuff. And you know what? It works. And it's, the, and it, and it's irony, really. Yeah, it's very. It's a simple, clean-looking site. It it seems to work just fine. How long did it take you to put it together? It took me about uh, maybe three weeks to write the spider, mm-hmm. and then it took me about maybe another uh, five weeks to put the rest of the website together, um, uh, d- take care of the design, and um, and get that all taken care sure. of. And so I launched last year on January first, mm-hmm. and then since then I've been coming out with different uh, versions. You know, so rapidly developing the website, making adding more features uh, every few weeks. How many people are working on it? Uh, just, just me, mostly. Just you. Yeah, you're a busy guy. <laughs> it, it, or, or not, if you think about it, right? I just, right. Uh, I, I've not, I don't do anything else but this. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I have a developer that takes care of my um, desktop app, so mm-hmm. he does the Mac, and then I got somebody that does the Windows app, right. and then of course a designer. But the code on the website is, is just yours truly. So, what, what is your interface into the iTunes Store, or the App Store? 
I actually poll my database a lot directly. So uh, I want to look at the data that's happening. I want to try to find trends and uh, try to but find where does the, Where do they come from? Is there Does Apple oh. publish a, an API or something? No, they don't. What, what happens is every time you click a page on iTunes, there's sort of pseudo, there's XML, HTML, some sort of markup, custom proprietary markup that uh, iTunes has that feeds their, um, that feeds uh, the iTunes application. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I load that up and then, um, and then go from there. So you're sort of screen scraping. Yes, that's right. I, you're I just, walking through the library one item at a time and putting it in your database. I go, I go page by page through their categories, nice. get all the app IDs, and then go uh, app by app. I go through. I uh, love it. It takes hours at It's night. a spider. It's a spider. Yeah, it's, it's a good old-fashioned spider. Uh, so how much hardware are you running on here for as busy as the site has gotten? I actually just have one beefy box. Um, Web server database all in one. All in, all in I one. I love yeah. it. Yeah. It's uh, just real old school. Just throw a box in and just pack all the software on there. I've got uh, my batch programs running on there. Mm-hmm. And it's a challenge sometimes, you know, because you get busy. And things spike, and I think, okay, maybe it's time to get a new box, and then the spike dies off, and you think, okay, well, let me see how, how much longer yeah, I can hold on to Yeah, we got through that. Well, one. and you're right at that bubble there where complexity goes up so much as you add those additional machines. So staying on the one big box is, is very compelling. Yeah, I mean, I, I have the advantage. So if I split my first box, I can just do the database. So I yeah, can get another beefy box for the database. and sure. that. I can, but once I start getting a web farm and load balancing that, then I have to do... Then it's either a load balancer or a session uh, balancer mm-hmm. in the back. So that's that's a stage I'm dreading. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to get to that level. But it's but complicated. Yeah, it gets more complicated. So where does .NET 4 play into your app design? Well, right now, it's so simple. It's such a simple website. Mm-hmm. You know, just a single single page apps in a sense. Yeah. That... Um, I'm not. I'm not good thinking about that. I'm thinking more about Silverlight. Right. Um, I saw yeah, some course. pretty cool things with the uh, Pivot, uh, where you know the apps just come in for the search mm-hmm. using using a Pivot-like feature using uh, Silverlight for a search feature. Sure. And that that just looks exciting. It just it just um well, it just makes amps the up the whole visualization process so much more. It makes it fun to look for stuff. Right. And and then you can just search for the uh, apps you want with uh, scrolls mm-hmm. instead of uh, check boxes, and and just it filters it down. It just looks really exciting. I'm mm-hmm. like, that's one of the things I'm I'm looking to implement from here. That's awesome. And then and totally going to change the look of the site if you go down the Silverlight route. It it will. And um and uh, it hopefully will introduce a, a bunch of new people app. Apple people to uh, Silverlight because I got a huge, obviously, uh, uh, Mac yeah. uh, uh, constituency. So the fact that Silverlight runs on the Mac is a big deal for w- what you want to do. V- very important. Very important part. But before you spidered the iTunes database, did you check to make sure that it was legal, that Apple wasn't going to come after you? No. So that's, of course, one of the, if I were uh, going public, <laughs> that would be one of the disclosures I'd have to put out to my investors um, that uh, you know iTunes can just get angry or, or just uh, decide, no, we're shutting you off and we're just right. going to only allow such and such to do it mm-hmm. or they're going to say uh hey we're tired of you beating up on our servers at night hopefully I, I doubt that i do i mean i one person it's a lot of data but yeah i think that they have a lot more traffic than me well, it's but. interesting on one hand you're providing a great service because you're providing yet another avenue for them people to buy applications which is what they really want but at the same time you're not you're bypassing the itunes branding and all that stuff that they really want people to go through iTunes or, or use the iPhone or... Right. Yeah. But one of the things that they have, which is great, is an affiliate program. So it's good to see that they're encouraging people uh, to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it's not officially sanctioned. So right. at any point, uh, I, think, I think it's mutual, ben- mutually beneficial, right? I'm trying to drive traffic to them and uh, 
and uh, they're, they're allowing me to use their content or not disallowing me yet. Right. It's an interesting gray area, really. Right. You come up with a creative solution, which obviously had a need because it's fairly tough to search the app store. It is. And then it, it, you don't know what you're looking for. So the reason I created the website was because I, got my, I was looking to develop an iPhone app. But then I got my iPhone, and I had no idea what apps to download. Right. So I wanted to see what my brother had, and the best he could do was send me screenshots. And the screenshots, even, even if someone's willing to do that, it only has a partial name. Right. And so you got to start digging through that. And so I got the idea, well, allow people to make lists. And that's one of the things that I think sets my... There's several directories out there, but I think that one of the things that sets mine apart is the ability to set, create a list and share it with your friends. Sure. Yappler.com. Find and share iPhone apps. That's very cool. Thanks, guys. Michael, been a pleasure talking to you, and good luck with the contest. Thank you very much. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who bring you the Rad Control Suite for Silverlight. Are you already playing with Silverlight 3? Then you might have started using .NET RIA services, rich Internet application services, which make data operations a whole lot easier, especially for a line of business applications. So check it out. Our friends at Telerik are again ahead in the game, tapping on the new benefits of Silverlight 3. Their RAD control suite for Silverlight now fully supports .NET RIA services and domain data source. So if you're wondering what's in it for you, the answer is pretty straightforward. You get completely codeless binding to RIA services, impressive validation support on the client and on the server. Your customer will also be pleased to sort, filter, and page data much faster as all data operations are now server-side. Besides, the suite also offers out-of-browser support, and as you might already have heard, the first commercial 3D chart. Check out the Telerik Silverlight suite at telerik.com silverlight. Don't forget to say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. Hey there, Carl and Richard on the show floor again, PDC, and we're here with Max Kappelman. Hi, Max. Hi, how are you? We're good, sir. And... and- from Mexico? Yes, I'm from Mexico City. Max Kappelman from Mexico City, the market shark. Yeah, awesome. So what's your project that's in uh, my .NET story? Okay, my project is called Market Info. This is, a, this is an application platform mm-hmm. that uh, thanks to SharePoint and .NET technology, we can develop a very powerful application to provide to our customers a very easy and elegant user interface in their desktops. And it's called Market Info? It's Market Info, yes. It's an application around the point of sales for merchandising. We recollect and we collect the the information uh, in Mexico City, Mm -hmm. and we put all this data into the one database. Of course, we're using SQL. Okay. So a given retail chain would use your application to pull all of their, their uh, store data together to get an overall view of their market? Yes. Cool. And you say it's a point-of-sale app? Is it used as the point-of-sale application, or is it a, a, a tool for point-of-sale we, people? We, this is a point, uh, no, no, no. Uh, we, we will integrate it with a point-of-sale application. I see. Yes. Our market info is working on merchandising, and take the information into the point of sale. I got it. And so this is really how we deal with the merchandise and where it is and, and where it's going and all of that kind of thing. Yes. The point of sale application will then pull into that database. But That's it. So you're managing all of those things in this SharePoint app. Yes, in the field forces. So when, for folks who don't understand exactly what merchandising is, maybe you can ex- describe it a bit because I think it's a fairly salient concept in all of this. Okay. Uh, when the customers need to get information for the field services, mm-hmm. 
they contact us and we send people to the streets and to the market mm -hmm. and collect this information into the PDA or in a web survey application. So you're literally doing like surveying of potential customers? Yes, yeah, survey, questions, uh, anything they, they need. Mm -hmm. And then we, we put all the information into the SQL uh, using the SharePoint technology, like a front-end. Right. And we can provide uh, the, the .NET technology and SharePoint technology uh, able to accelerate the business analysis. And we can use in a very easy way the, the disinformation and convert into the charts or we can export to Excel in two or three clicks. And after that, the user experience will change because the Excel is the most popular interface around the globe and they can use the pivot, the, the pivot features to make any analysis they want. So they're doing analysis through, from your data set into Excel? Yes. Into Excel or into the web services? Did you course. have to do it's SharePoint 2007? I take it. Yes. Did yes. you take? Uh, did you have to do any custom development? In, yeah. So, so you had to. Did you use a BDL, for example? And oh, we we made the custom development around the the, the contact point. Is built under. Uh, we have a form built under the the SharePoint technology. Okay. And also, we have posted videos and social media okay. inside the SharePoint. So, was that uh, was that a, a challenge? Because that's usually the biggest challenge trying to do the you know developing components for SharePoint. The biggest challenge is um, is the like the customers because we have to be very easy, very intuitive way. Right. That's the the, the, the because the .NET technology provides us bunches of of components. Uh, all the technology is very easy to integrate. With, with the rest of the of the suite, but the challenge were how we can do this application very intuitive to the customers. Sure, uh, are you using uh, OLAP services uh, of SQL Server under the hood here? Yes. Okay. OLAP so the, I mean, this is a real analytics uh, set of tools. No shortcuts. The whole whole full meal deal. Yes, we we also use uh, BI technology. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, the, uh, we integrated with information builders technology mm -hmm. that we call WebFocus. And it's very easy to, to, to handle the, this information because it's a very, a very light component. Right. It's working with the SQL. And also we can export this information to the, the dynamic CRM. Awesome. The, uh, I'm trying to get a picture of how big this system might be. How many stores are we talking about? Oh, in Mexico, we have uh, almost 3,000 stores. Wow. And how many users? Uh, um, BDMs, we have almost... 100, and in the field services, we have like a 500. Oh, cool. So where does uh, .NET 4 and, and Studio 2010 play into your application? Uh, th this is the, the tool that we have to use to integrate all, all the products, all the suites. Yeah. Yes. And, of course, so all the new SharePoint tools in, in Visual Studio are going to be important to you, make it easier to do SharePoint development. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, the SharePoint technology is awesome. Yeah. Without SharePoint, we can't do that. And about how long did it take? Uh, how to long develop. To develop. Uh, if we need to attach this application to the customer, uh, sometimes we take a week or two weeks. It's very, very fast. But, oh, oh, so you, oh, I see. So every one of these new customers, you're creating a new application in SharePoint. 
Yes. And you were able to get it up in a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that's, in two weeks. That's yes, amazing. It's very, very flexible and very, very fast. And are the customers running the infrastructure or are you running it for them? No, we're, we're running the infrastructure. So you're like the application service provider here. Yes. They just They just get a front-end view and you feed the data in. I got to pick, picking up their point-of-sale data is a challenging part of this application. That's the reason why the Windows Azure platform is very important for us. Interesting. How, are you using Azure now or are you just no, looking at it? No, we, we, we are working to use this uh, Windows Azure platform because it will be our quick response from Microsoft sure. to, to support any any kind of users in, in Mexico or in Latin America. Yeah, I got to think you, it's time to expand out into larger markets. We want to, we, we are trying to do that. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. This is a huge opportunity in the market. And uh, are we focused on the Spanish market specifically? Like go down, go down into to Central America and into even South America. We we want to consolidate our application in Mexico City, and then right. we have to go to Central America, and we have a little uh, some contacts in Latin, in South America also. Cool. But we have to do first in Mexico City. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like a fantastic application, uh, and good luck. Thank you very Good much. Good luck and uh, thanks for talking to us. Thank you very much, Carl, Richard. My satellite dish, it's a damn sight to see. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Hey, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here on the show floor of PDC. Yes, sir. And uh, last, second to last day, you're almost done. Almost done. It's too way too early for this, by the way. Can I formally protest? No, we've already done it several interviews this morning. It's not that early anymore. I know. Well, I'll use my new laptop to protest to send an email. Okay, we're here with Steve Porter. Hi, Steve. Hi, Carl. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me out. You're welcome. So what's the project you've built? The project we built, the acronym we use for it is BGSC. It stands for Bridging Specialist in General Care. Interesting. And it's for uh, doctors, family physicians, and specialists to communicate better. Uh, It's a healthcare application, obviously. And one of the problems we're having with um, our healthcare system is just access to specialists. They're obviously specialized, it's a smaller number of them. Right. And they want to maximize the time that they're spending with patients. Mm-hmm. So before our system, one of the problems that they were having on a, a fairly regular basis is a doctor would see a patient, decide, to a certain degree, decide on their own that you need to see a certain specialist. Right. So this is a general practitioner, That's your right. sort of regular family doctor. Family right? doctor you go to, let's say you You're go out of my hands. Pain. Yeah. 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 So I've got a bad back. A doctor decides, I think you should go see a surgeon. So I'm going to go and I'm going to try and find a surgeon, a specialist, set up an appointment. Could be months. Uh, We heard some anecdotes of like 18 months to see a surgeon. Mm -hmm. So the person sits around with horrible back pain waiting to see that surgeon. Getting worse. Um, Finally gets to see that surgeon. Surgeon sits down with the patient. Records have to be faxed over, maybe lost. Um, there's no electronic transfer between the two offices. Yeah, that's right. And usually the pa- it's up to the patient to go get x-rays and then bring them to the sort of specialist and all that kind of stuff. There's all those different diagnostics that right. are not electronic. It's all because when you think about it, the specialist is their own little business. Mm-hmm. They have their own office. They're not interconnected with all these different doctor abilities. So there's no connectivity other than fax machines. So Man. our system um, would help the, the two areas communicate because what they're finding is that patient will wait that period of time, go in to see the specialist. The specialist will, will review the chart that they will may have just received. Um, and after talking to the patient for a brief period of time, realize that they're not a good candidate for surgery. Right. 
So, so I imagine there's some scanning of documents and attaching uh, things. Attaching and- records, attaching any sort of uh, 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 MRIs or those sort of pieces, and try to build it all within this one-stop portal that the physicians and the specialists can use to communicate back and forth and to report outcomes, to set appointments, and just to uh, make the system just flow a lot better. I can imagine x-rays might be a really good... Uh- a thing to move around electronically if the resolution was good enough so that you could just send the x-ray to the specialist to take a look and see, oh, the person needs surgery right away. You don't actually have to go see him. Right. And, the, uh, and surprisingly, the, the one that we were, uh, that people are using the most are simple Word documents. Just simple, I've got records, I've been typing some information in, I'm capturing all of this, and something as simple as a Word document, to be able to attach that and send it through so the specialists can have that was was a huge improvement over what they had which was kind of a surprise to someone who's very technical like me to go into a doctor office and and say i mean you're not already doing this i um have done some work in the medical software field long time ago Mm -hmm. and um one of the things that we were bumping up against and i'm tell me if you still are is just anytime you digitize a medical record there's you know all sorts of you know uh resistance to that because there isn't any standard and you know what? What are we doing with that? How how far has how how far have we gotten with that? Well, I mean that really leads to that one area of usability. Mm-hmm. Doctors are very very busy people. They don't want to have a system that they're not comfortable with. They're not familiar with. One of the lines that I heard when we were introducing the system is I had a, I had a doctor in front of me put down his notebook and said, "This notebook never crashes." Nice. This yeah. paper, this and, piece of paper and, and the never life, crashes. And the battery life is awesome. It's wonderful, and I never have to worry about being online. It just works. Right. So one of the things that we want to do when we built our system is we had to make sure it was as easy to use as a notebook, and it just worked. Yeah, always reliable. Always reliable, mm-hmm. always there. Don't have to worry about anything going wrong with it. It just works, and they will use that. Because if you sure. don't make the system simple to use, if I'm a doctor and I'm really busy, and I, I'm not, all doctors, they're running their own little business. Yeah. If you don't make it easier for me to use, if I don't get something out of it, I'm not going to use it. Right. So what was the architecture of the, uh, the application? Silverlight. Okay, silver on the front. Yeah, and SQL Server on the back end, right. WCF for the middle. Nice. And one of the one of our key challenges was this was uh, a tendering process we had to go through working with the government. And uh, as your listeners may know, sometimes when you get RFPs and you're going through that process, you're, for us, we weren't actually able to talk to the customer until it was awarded. And once it was awarded, we had 10 weeks to deliver the entire project into production with a team of five people. And that included building a data center that we had to host the application. In 10 weeks? In 10 weeks, start to finish. So did you use Azure? We didn't use Azure. Um, We wanted to uh, make sure it was simple as possible for our existing developers because we're a consulting company. We had a, a team of developers that happened to be available at the time. So we don't always get to choose our skill sets. And I had .NET developers with no web experience. And this was a web application. And Silverlight did to boot, right? So. No Silverlight. They um, Half the team had never seen Blend. Wow. And I had to, in 10 weeks with this team of people who are all exceptionally bright .NET developers, mm-hmm. get them to roll out a web app that worked. Um, we had people who were running on the Mac OS, so it had to work in Safari. Right. Our only choice really was Silverlight. Interesting. So I got to think the Silverlight 4 announcements are important to you. I was just got out of the announcements right now with the keynote. Mm-hmm. and um, Must be jumping for joy. Well, we were building it all on two. So oh, Wow. So huge leap forward. Massive. And uh, we just went through a second phase 
where because of uh, some of the areas we're deploying in, we're still stuck with two. We have mm-hmm. some government offices that we can't just go in and install whatever we want. So we're, we're still working with two, and our developers were the, the entire time just looking at three at this time saying, oh, what a huge advantage we could, we could uh, add to our application without any additional work just by moving to three. And then now I'm looking at four and thinking, oh, my God, when we can finally get these bits out to our user base, mm-hmm. what uh, another magnitude of uh, uh, efficiency that our developers will get because they don't have to write a lot of that stuff themselves. Sure. So... Uh did you you said you guys had never seen that before? But there's got to did you use a designer? There was a blend guy in all of this. No, really, no. Uh, the developers we did uh, that's not fair. We did have part time access to a graphic designer okay. who had who um, was great with Photoshop, who had never touched Blend before the wow. start of the project, and he helped us with some of the coloring and some of the design. But most of the work was done by our uh, WinForm developer. Wow. Yeah. You know, one thing that came to mind as we were talking about .NET 4 and Silverlight 4 it, that you must be excited about is the microphone input. Well, huh? I mean, now well, you can like have the patient. Yeah. This is what my cough sounds like. <laughs> we actually have had some uh, requests for building the ability to take photos into our application. Sure, yeah. Because we have um, one of the specialties that we cover is cosmetic surgery. So if someone has a skin lesion that may be cancerous, may not be cancerous, to be able to take a picture of that yeah. and then to include that as an attachment. And we've had some requests to maybe use a mobile application to do that. Mm-hmm. And because we're using WCF for that middle tier, to suddenly roll that out to a mobile device will be stupid simple for us. Yeah, easy an easy add-in. And I guess in, back to Silverlight 4, just being able to support all of those peripherals, you can do all kinds of things in that area yeah, to huge, make it simple. Huge, benefit for us. So I'm really excited with what I was seeing today. Yeah, and it sounds like you're nowhere near done. There's many more versions to come. Well, we took a very agile approach to this. We had 10 weeks to deliver it, so we really had to do, we had to work very closely with the client to prioritize what they wanted to see. So that first release was sort of, here's the bare minimum we need to get people using it, and we're going to keep on regular basis delivering improvement to the system based on the user feedback. How much uh, complexity does the regulatory regime around healthcare affect your application? We had some fairly stringent security requirements. Yeah, based, mostly protecting parent-patient confidentiality. All around patient data. Mm-hmm. Even security. now, even now, our developers, um, everything's hosted in a, a local data center for us. Right. So if our developers want to get in to, to access the production data, they basically can't. We actually have some scripts that will move the data into a staging area, scrub the data of anything that might identify a patient, and then the developer can go in and have a look at what the production data kind of looks kind like, of but looks it's been like totally it. scrubbed. Yeah, so, I mean, that's not even talking about leaking information to the public. Just your own people can't touch this data. Yes, absolutely. And that was one of the great things with SQL Server, because we did have some of our, uh, our developers are very comfortable with the platform. So mm-hmm. when I, when I was explaining these security requirements, what they had to do, it's like, oh yeah, okay, we can, you know, we can just use the built-in tools, uh, stored procedures, very simple, simple, straightforward things to, right. to do that scrubbing and to secure our data. Sure. So uh, what's coming, obviously you're looking at Silverlight 4, any other major architectural shifts, bits you're looking at? Does Azure play a role in this at all? Well, at the moment, it's all very uh, localized for our individual jurisdiction. Right. So we would, and, and we've been very successful, and we've obviously, uh, Microsoft has, has come and poked at us and said, you guys are doing really good work. So we're now hoping to now roll this out to other jurisdictions within Canada. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, we do have a data center, but I don't think that's really what, that's not what we do. Right. We're a software development shop. Sure. So uh, we would certainly look into using something like Azure to leverage their experience in this area. So we don't have to worry about that. We just write our application and then let someone else worry about securing the data and hosting the application. But getting back to the regulatory thing, you might be in a better place if you do have your own data center. Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, because whenever you're storing patient data, as soon as you start moving it outside of jurisdictions, that can be really difficult. And it's nice to see Microsoft having the different data centers now rolling out across the world. Right. And that may help things to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, but you're right. We may, I wouldn't be surprised if we go from, for us, one province to another where the province basically says, this can't leave our border. Yeah. In that case, then we're going to be... They're just going to have to take own. on the expense of having a data center to, to make it operate yes, that way. to secure patient data. And everybody's so, uh, and rightly so, concerned about their patient data leaving their control. Now, you... You said it was a WPF front end. What did WPF add to the app that, say, a WinForms version wouldn't have done? Well, it was just the ability to make it not look like a standard, regular, boring business application without having to really do a lot of very heavy lifting. Hmm. Um, once you once you grok WPF and you can get a sense for how the XAML works, um, our developers, again, who had never really touched the stuff before, but once they got their head wrapped around it, with a fairly short learning curve, I would say two weeks. Two weeks of time before you were able to pretty much create anything you want. And that was the neat thing about it. We could create anything we want. Our developers weren't constrained with just standard buttons and windows and sure. controls. You know, Richard, what's what I'm hearing in all of these uh, WPF applications is how soon, how quickly the developers who didn't have any WPF experience got up to speed just by reading the books and the documentation. You know, that's a little bit different from other things that we've been hearing about WPF. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what's changed in a sense. What was the practice that your folks, like you said, they didn't have any experience going in on this, although they were obviously talented developers. They were. So what did you do to get these guys up to speed on WPF? Well, that was really the the the, the joy of it is we didn't really have to do anything. We had to give them the tools. Mm -hmm. We had to give them a little bit of time to get comfortable with them. So obviously our first sprint was not feature rich. It was, okay, we just need a couple of screens. We just need to persist the data. It was was one of those narrow vertical stripes through the app to see, can we do this? Absolutely. For us, we, um, uh, the term that we use are care plans. It's something that's wrong with you Mm -hmm. um, that a physician and a specialist might work with. And we have very many that we cover. We took one. Here's a simple one, start to finish, get it to work. And uh, our developers just, because the uh, tool was comfortable to them, they were able to just get it on their own. Steve Porter, thanks very much for sharing this uh, application information with us. All right, thank you very much. And good luck in the contest. Thank you. My satellite dish, it's a damn sight to see. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Hey, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here back on the PDC floor. Hi, Richard. Howdy, sir. Good day so far. We've had a fine lunch, and it's uh, getting towards the latter part of the day where the party's going to start. And we got free laptops. There we, we have collected our laptops over the course of the different stories we've collected. It's the most over-the-top parting gift I've ever received. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Okay, well, we're here with uh, Luigi and Guido Rosso. Hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? Hey. And you guys are identical twins. Not only do you look identical, you sound identical. We apologize to the listeners for that. Yeah. You'll never know which one is talking, but that's okay. That's okay. So tell us about your uh, uh, application, Luigi. So we built an application that's called AMP, which is short for Archetype Media Platform. 
basically, Archetype is your company? Archetype is the name of the company. That's okay. right. And we've had a lot of different clients request different products for us in the last few years. And a lot of them have all revolved around media, whether it was uh, storing media online and being able to watch it, rich interactive applications that let you comment on media or mm-hmm. uh, you know rate it or share it in different forms. Mm-hmm. And other questions that we've had are people wanting to do rough cuts, being able to manage that media online in a way that that's, you know, continuous for their whole different systems across the board and there's no better place to do that than online. So what we've done is we've mashed those two together and we've now got those on the cloud so that you can edit your media online, you can trim your video files, you can extract thumbnails and so on, and you can get them published to a portal where everyone can use them. Now, when you say media, does uh, do you have any content copyright restrictions or do you not care what kind of so content people put up there? Our solution is is very much for for individual companies, so they you know we don't manage that. If they take it and they do what they want with it. It's we can really just storage. We don't really care what you put. Exactly, up there. we we don't have a portal that we you know we're not like YouTube. We don't yeah. have something that we manage ourselves and then we put out there. It's a it's a product that we sell to other companies. And and it's uh and it's not something that somebody would publish for the rest of the world. I mean they would. It's they're managing their personal media stash. Is you what know, you're saying not or, necessarily. If they oh, wanted really? to, they they could build something. Someone could build a YouTube with it if they wanted to. Oh, really? And so this is a cloud-based video editing and management solution. Right, and, and there's, a, there's a few more things to it as well. Mm-hmm. There's two other components. One is statistics-based. We have a statistics dashboard that lets you see all kinds of information regarding how much your video was watched, who did what with your video or your audio files right. or, or your image files. and Basic analytics for media. Right, basic analytics for media. Um, and uh, the final portion is also a media manager, which lets you do things like... Uh, store metadata, search for files in different ways, uh, re-encode files in different profiles. So basically you can... Oh, that's cool. It lets you create different profiles so that, for example, if you're if you're a website and you need to have um, certain parts of certain images shown on different parts of the website, you can take a very large high-resolution image, upload it there, then you can crop it, resize it, set the right profile for it, and publish it to the right portion of the site that you need it at. It's really helpful for blogs, really helpful for someone who has multiple sites and needs to publish to different ones. Yeah, and the important thing to note there is that it's all non-destructive, so you haven't done anything to permanently modify that file. You still have that really high-resolution original image there. So I'm thinking this is a Silverlight application? So, yeah, it's actually a combination of the, the, the rich user experience is in Silverlight. We also have a hybrid version, which is in HTML and Silverlight, and we also do support Flash. And the rest of the back end is entirely based on .NET, so we just recently got the majority of it running on Windows Azure. So you've moved over to cloud for the whole back end part? Yep, absolutely. Just to get away from needing to, I mean, the problem with video is there's so much, uh, it can be really, really big. There's a lot, a lot of, of quantity. There, there's a lot of, you know, the, 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 you need to send a lot of data at the same time as right. well. So it gets expensive. It gets difficult to manage, too. How sophisticated is the editing for audio, video, photos, whatever? I think that for being an online application, it's it's you'll be very surprised. You can do a lot of things that traditionally has only been available on desktop editing applications. Wow. So it, it definitely lets you do a lot of rough cuts. It lets you do some titles. It lets you do reordering and sorting. Yeah, one really cool aspect of the um, of the editor that we think is one of the most unique parts of the whole platform is that it's not just your kind of linear vi- video editor. Um, you can actually pull your assets out of a library and throw them on a kind of light table-like surface, move them around, and then you can actually grab a corner of a video, strip it all out, pull, pulling out to the side drag, drip with drag and drop, wow. and get the full film strip from which you can then crop in and out points and all then right. stack other videos together to create a timeline. That sounds like a nonlinear video editing system to me. 
Pretty much not non-linear and also very non-traditional. It's very intuitive. It's very fun to play with. We've had really good experiences. People Sounds are, like your kind of app, Carl. Yeah, I'm thinking. How much? Where do I sign? I mean, what? Tell us. Is this a publicly available application? Or? Just need to get in touch with us, and we'll go from there. Yeah, we're, uh, you can find a lot of information on our blog. We just did some press releases around it, and we're going to be um, uploading a product page pretty soon. So okay. uh, archetype-inc.com. What's the, what's the coolest thing about it? I mean, if you had to pick the coolest, the drop-dead killer demo. From a design standpoint, you know, we, we use a lot of um, different Microsoft tools to build this. So it was all built in, in blend with, from our designers. And what mm -hmm. was really cool for us is that we developed this whole thing to be really easy for other designers to edit and modify without having to do any code. So you can basically take this product for yourself or for your company and rebrand it, change the colors without doing any kind of um, hard programming or editing on the on the whole platform you can quickly change the entire look and feel of it which from a design standpoint is really cool i don't know if luigi has something from a programming standpoint yeah from, from a programming standpoint we basically built a lot of custom controls in silverlight which are entirely skinnable and they give you a lot of really cool features that you probably haven't seen in a lot of rich internet applications and we suggest you take a look at our website at archetype-inc.com and the product page there's a lot of cool things there a lot of cool experiences. So is this something I would use to manage my personal media collection and maybe share it with some friends or something? Or There's no reason why you, you couldn't do that. You, yeah. you absolutely could. It just it really depends on what you're trying to do and whether or not you think it's the right fit for you. But absolutely. And, but what do you think the typical customer profile is? Is it more of a business-oriented video editing app? Yeah, it's, it's definitely more business-oriented, large-scale companies. We've had a lot of... So, so, so far, we, we've actually had it run for uh, a couple different companies, and they have been using it on the corporate side for, um, for an internal use. And Guido, you had mentioned multiple designers, so it sounds like there's a very strong design element to this application. Yeah, absolutely. In, in everything that we do, we are... That's actually what we kind of pride ourselves in at Archetype is that we're not just a programming company. We, um, we really focus on the design so that we don't have to outsource any of it. We, we do everything in-house, and we're just as strong on design as we are with development. So how many designers are we talking about here? Uh, three, including me. Wow. And, and how many developers? Uh, four, including me. <laughs> <laughs> but an interesting ratio because I've seen shops where they're running one designer to eight developers and those sorts of balances you guys are almost one to one that sounds like a uh, are you just working in blend when you do design work or are you crossing over more into the studio side no we we definitely are uh, traditionally more adobe based like illustrator oh, really? and photoshop okay um but when we're working with silverlight we do everything in blend all yes. right well so why not go the air route as a, an adobe shop so we actually have. We actually do develop on air, and we've got a, a few different products. The only thing is that all of our developers come from a very strong C++ and, you know, C Sharp now right. background. So we all found ourselves very much at home when Silverlight came out. We were very, very happy. We already lived and breathed in Visual Studio. A lot of our guys actually compile uh, Flex Air applications from Visual Studio. Wow. We, don't, we don't like the, the Flash IDE very much. It's very difficult for, for a programmer to look at instead you don't have uh, the same quality of debugging tools as you do in Visual Studio. Question for you Guido, uh, mm -hmm. as a designer you say you came from a Photoshop background, what was the experience of Blend like coming from Photoshop because we we are not Photoshop guys and we don't know, in the .NET community we don't know who that, who, you know, 
So what in in our experience or, or what our feedback at first was that it was kind of difficult to to grok. But tell me tell me what you think of it. Yeah, now. And traditionally we had to when we first started working you know, with Silverlight One before it was even called Silverlight WPFE. Yeah, um, it, it was very hard to work with Photoshop and Blend. I mean, it was it was more about exporting separate layers as um, as uh, as unique images. So we'd export a bunch of pings or JPEGs and stuff like that, um, and then rebuild our assets entirely in Blend. Now, with ever since Silverlight 3, there's this, a direct importer for PSD files and uh, AI Illustrator files. So that has made life a lot easier. Um, there still has to be a pretty strong understanding of how the app is built. So m- most of our designers aren't you know, purely just designers. They yeah. do have some level of understanding with programming. Um, right. But, but it, that has improved a lot. To answer your question, yes, Photoshop importing is there now it's it's great it's it's a huge time saver um however our designers do still do a lot of conversion in blend to make sure that everything will still work um more like a native vector application and how easy do you think it is for a photoshop guy or girl to come into use to use blend to get up to speed with it is is it very familiar it's territory I would say so. Yeah, it's it's familiar because there's layers there. There's um, there's some of your typical tools. Um, it's also become very very easy to set up a file in Blend, especially with Sketchflow. Now you can pretty much set up um, a very basic flow for your application by importing files from Photoshop and just making a quick change, just hiding some layers, setting up your different pages, hmm. and you pretty much have a working prototype um, that doesn't take a lot of learning or relearning new new stuff. And it seems like a familiar interface is what I'm getting at. It like does. It does, Like yes. as a Visual Studio developer, I look at Blend and I'm like, where's my toolbar? You know, I like, I don't it's, know where things are. Yeah, absolutely. But, but as a Photoshop guy, it's more comfortable. It's it's a lot more of a visual application. Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely true. You it's can easier see. to intuitively get going with it, I yes. guess. Yeah. Well, and I think that another thing that, that we found is that a lot of the guys that have worked with motion graphics in the past with application like applications like Adobe After Effects find themselves a lot more at home in a place like Blend than they do in a place like Flash. Yeah. The traditional animation path is a lot more is a lot more robust and, and traditional in Blend than it is in Yeah, and there's interesting. Been a, there's been a lot of updates to the timeline also with Blend three which have really made it a lot um, a lot more like similar to After Effects, which we were kind of disappointed with Flash CS4 when that came out because they were saying that it was going to be um, you know, a lot like After Effects and give you a lot of the control that, that we love from After Effects. Mm-hmm. And instead, you know, kind of ironically, we ended up finding that more in Blend than in Flash. And that is interesting. Uh, I don't mean to change gears too much here, Luigi, but I wanted to talk a bit about the Azure side of the application. Sure. So uh, obviously some kind of database involved there. Are you, you use the SQL Azure? Or? We do. We start. We were on the early CTP, and mm-hmm. our application right now could not work without SQL Azure. And, is the, and in the main tier, uh, the, the, the main worker processes here, what do they look like? So our, our worker processes actually are responsible for doing a lot of the hard, heavy lifting, like like the worker, enc- like the encoding and so on. Right. And those guys basically communicate with the rest of the application through queues, through the database. They keep synchronized. They let know, you know, for example, we the way that we queue up an encoding operation is that we, we push it in the database with the profile and all the information that's required for uh, for the instructions to the encoder. Then the encoder sees from the queue that it's it has to do something. And it talks to the database to get exactly what those instructions are. It starts processing its file, and then it continuously updates its status in the, on the database so right. that the client gets a very high level of visibility into what's going on with their files. They can see, oh, it's being analyzed now. Oh, it's you know, thumbnails are being extracted. Now it's reencoding it. Now it's doing this. It's 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 very responsive and it's very useful, and it makes it a lot 
a much better, a much more like a desktop application where you can see what's going on, where your files are, and when they'll be ready. I kind of think that one of the big challenges you've got here is how much data you have to haul back and forth between Silverlight and the servers repeatedly. You know, we, what lives where? So that was actually a really, that's a really good point. It was one of the big questions that we had as we developed the application is how do we make this a better experience? Because, you know, you have to upload this file, then you have to wait for it to get encoded, and then you have to wait to get it back. So one of the things that was really important to us was making sure that while you're uploading very large files, you have the ability to stop, pause, and resume your upload at mm -hmm. any other time or even another machine with the, the same file. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely key is these things can get absolutely huge. So yep. dealing with smaller pieces and moving only what you need to move at a given time. Have you, are you doing any of the elasticity side of things? Do you have to add more machines under certain loads? Like, how's that behaving? So we, we do have to do that, and we are looking into automating that in the future. There's right. a lot of cool new stuff that lets us do that, and it's not something that is integrated yet, but it's definitely going into the next cycle. And so this comes down to you doing some rendering work or something, and it's going to tie down a process pretty hard, and so you want to spin up another one for other work. Exactly. Right now, we basically, the, the way that we set it up is that we determine ahead of time, or as things happen, we manually determine how many nodes we need to spin up and we figure it out and we push them. The system is smart. It queues. So in case there is too high of a workload, it just slows down. It slows down. Right. People will get their files a little bit slower. So you must have a dashboard just looking at the level of queues to know if you want to spin more up. Exactly. We just keep track of that. And then we, we it's very easy to go to the portal and spin up some new nodes. But we would like and we will automate that process. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a nice clear algorithm for when the queues get to here, spin up another node. Exactly. When they get below this, drop a node. Right. And it also, it also tries to check over time and see how things have been going for the last day. So if it sees right. that, you know, things have kind of cooled down, it might wait a little longer to make sure things don't pick back up and so on. Well, then it sounds like very granular work, so it ought to scale fairly smoothly. But did you feel like you had to do a lot of coding to make sure it did scale? Yeah, we, we did. We, we actually do have to do a lot of, it's a lot of testing. It's a lot of making sure things are right. It's a lot of logging. Right. Um, so it, absolutely. It, it, well, I think it's that whole battle to avoid doing something that's going to block everyone else on a given machine. Exactly. But the nice thing about Windows Azure is that we, we do have the ability to do that very easily. It's very mm -hmm. easy to go in there and spin up some new nodes. It's very easy to determine where the, where the bottleneck is. And it also means that we, we don't have to get any IT guys to go build us a new machine. We just literally push a button and we have a new machine. What was the biggest challenge in developing the The biggest the challenge was getting the encoder, uh, figuring out how to get the encoder roles working on Windows Azure. The encoder roles. Right, the, 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 the worker roles that do the encoding. Oh, role, R-O-L-E-S, sorry. Yeah, right. so it's, it's, it's a permissions problem, largely. So right. You've got to put a file up onto the Azure and then act on that in a way that may or may not be allowed in, the, in that trusted model. Exactly, and it depends also on, on what you're using as far as an encoder. Different, you know, right. There's different requirements, and you may not have the right permissions. You may not have the right files. You may not, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit of figuring out exactly what you want to do, and got, the codecs and so on. This is mostly about how that codec was written, what root what rules it's following exactly what rules it's following and, and also if uh, you know what the licensing is like so there, there's there's lots of different complexities there but but from purely a technical perspective that was the the most challenging one and and uh, we have a pretty good path right now and we're hoping that it'll improve in the future so one more time what's the website it's our website is archetype-inc.com and look for amp on there Guido and Luigi Rosso thank you very much thank you guys and good luck in the contest Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here on the floor of PDC09. Yes, sir. How are you? Good. Well, uh, yellow. There's a lot of yellow around here. We're in the yellow zone. That explains it. 
one of the leading contestants here, Jennifer Locke. Welcome, Jennifer. Hello. So what is the app that you've uh, built, and, uh, and how did you get involved with the contest? It's actually not an app. It's a set of uh, math and statistical libraries. Oh, cool. Wow. So they're embeddable libraries for someone else to build an application. So you built these libraries in uh, C-sharp or, or VBnet or? C-sharp. Okay, so, I mean, there's a fair bit of math built into .NET, right? Yes. This, these um, algorithms actually start out in Fortran. Okay, and, um, scientific algorithms. Right. And mostly at a PhD level type algorithms. Um, they've been, we've ported them to C. Okay. Java and now to C Sharp. Cool. So, so anyone using .NET has basically has access to How many libraries. in the library? 100 plus. Isn't one of the big things with scientific uh, stuff precision? Because I mean, we know that, that you know, doubles and stuff are not that accurate. And when you really deal with scientific stuff, you need real precise numbers. Correct. Of course, anytime you do numerical calculations, you take into account um, little error. Sure. You know, that um, you, you're not going to get precise, and you understand that. There's always a plus or minus some Right. Percent. Of course, in statistics, they don't really care about precision. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Standard deviation is. Yeah. It's, it's, all, it's all relative. It's okay. Now, <laughs> when I did statistical work in reporting, I answered the phone, what lies would you like today? You, know, you, could, <laughs> you could shape the data any way you want. Exactly. Right? Precision? <laughs> you're crazy talk there. My goodness. But, I mean, you literally provide like, your own data types there, or are you just working within the types that are available to um, I, You know, that's, that's actually a good question, because um, we have built complex data types. And a- actually, we are, we are still using. I believe there is now a complex data type in um, C-sharp that came out with um, 4. Sure. .NET 4. But we will probably not be migrating to that. There's Just yet. Yeah, there's way too much that... Um, we've done using our classes. How long did the port take? And what did you port it from? We actually ported from Java. Directly from Java? Yeah. So that um, must have been fairly easy, I bet. It was very easy. We used the um, the converter tool from nice. Java to C Sharp. Wow. Does that, is she disqualified because of that? She didn't really write the code. <laughs> I think you're disqualified. Does, does, no, I'm just kidding. Does it count that I wrote it in Java? <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Oh, There's oh, the missing piece. Or I'm not supposed to say one, that. <laughs> one managed runtime is much like another. I'm not allowed to say that either. <laughs> So uh, maybe you tell us a little bit about some of the apps that have been built with this. Like, what are people doing that they need that kind of precision? Oh, that's that's a pretty wide no range. Kidding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking from manufacturing, mostly research and development, to um, finance, um, a lot of forecasting, um, right. just wide, wide range financial and, statistics. Yeah, mm, um, like derivatives. Yes. Oh, so it turns out your company's responsible for the economic collapse. How nice. uh, we're picking well, on let's, too much. Well, let's, let's, let's not go that far. <laughs> the, the, they probably weren't using our Yeah, yeah. It wasn't <laughs> if they had been, it wouldn't have had that problem. Exactly. Yeah, it would have worked out fine. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, be either, you know, we're seeing some database um, companies start to, um, yeah. to um, integrate numerics. Um, directly into the database. Because if you think about it, if you can make an S- SQL command do some of these um, numerics rather than pulling the data out, yeah, sure. processing so the, it. The CLR uh, inside a SQL Server, right? Being able to use that .NET right. uh, runtime right. inside a SQL right. Server, mm-hmm. bringing those high-level maths in so you can right. take that massive chunk of data right. and don't have to haul it across the wire, do it right inside the database. Right. I mean, it's still pretty infinite, you know, in, you know, young stages of this, but 
I think that's where you're going to see. Any interest in F-sharp or other functional languages? We have looked into F-sharp, um, but I don't think at this point we're going to do anything. Is there any, uh, is there any way that a functional language can uh, help in these kinds of uh, calculations? It's probably a little bit faster to develop, um, but that I'm, I really can't answer. Yeah, mathematical rules are mathematical rules. They're not going to change one way or the other. No. So tell us a bit about the contest. How did you end up here? Well, we're, we actually were part of the, the TAP program or the Visuals 2010 oh, beta yeah. One testers. of the early adopters. Um, mainly what we've done is um, incorporate the parallel um, extensions. Oh, cool. Into the product. So which was, that's something we've been, we've been, We've been doing this in our products for many years now. Doing your own parallel sort of processing yeah, to speed I mean, those kinds of equations. Well, we really, um, we started out that, but like with Fortran, with MPI, we incorporated MPI, mm -hmm. OpenMP, our C library, OpenMP. So this was just a natural a natural extension of... Nice. Because um, our, our customers want to do their calculations fast. Yeah. And they're, you know, most... Especially in the finance industry, yeah, speed is king. Yes, exactly. They're crunching a lot of numbers, which those problems are very suitable mm -hmm. for a parallelized um, application. And so, so, so you turned off your set of parallel libraries to use Microsoft's in .NET four. Um, actually, we had not incorporated anything yet. Okay. So this was um, we're this is the first time the C sharp classes are. Um, Parallelized. So, and did it make a substantial difference? I mean, it just seems like a perfect. Yeah, fit. it's actually we're seeing um, really nice Especially results. Especially when you're chewing through a lot of data. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a few of our algorithms that we're not seeing as good a results as you'd hope, right. but um, mo most of them we're seeing a, a real nice increase. Well, and I got to think for your mm. customers, mm. The, the guys who are building yeah. these apps, they've got those cores lying around anyway, so it's just an easy win to utilize right, the cores. Right. And an interest a really interesting fact that we've seen in this um, testing is that um, the parallel 4 is actually faster in most cases than just a 4. You know, just a for loop. Oh, okay. Which, yeah. which so what that does is even even though your app if your if your app is running um, on a system and you're only going to utilize one one CPU, one core, you're still going to get a little bit faster results. Multi-threading on one core. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's actually multi-threading, but some it's actually a little bit faster. It's about a nine, a not, about a nine percent speed up over um, just the the four command. Jennifer, tell us a little bit about you and your background. Um. I um, basically have a math and computer science background, so this job kind of it's quite e you know fits in with my background. Nice. Um, I work I work mostly with PhDs, so they're they're the ones that really are the brains behind the software. But having my background makes it very easy to communicate with them, mm -hmm. um, finish up the development. I bet you've seen a lot of computer programming languages in your day. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> I, Java obviously right, right before. Are you are you working in Java still? And yes, mostly in .NET, or is the .NET thing new to you? Well, um, I've been doing .NET for the past maybe four or five years. Well, that's um, time. Yeah, yeah. So we we've we've adopted um, we we converted these the Java libraries to C sharp mm -hmm. very early on. Um, so. We've been we've been in this arena for a oh, while, great. so it's just it's a it was an easy and, and natural place for us to go. 
So are you seeing, I'm just trying to imagine your customers, because often we see that uh, in the university space, Java is a pretty prevalent language. Are you, how's the adoption of the .NET uh, incarnation? Uh, actually, we're seeing it more in business. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, and, and the fact that we have these libraries available in .NET's been nice. You, what you're seeing is new new applications being mm-hmm. built. And with the .NET framework, you can still utilize a lot of your existing um code that you've got out there when you're kind of migrating a new application. Yeah, it's not hard to just add your piece in and then, you right. know, like I said, you've got the parallel extensions in there. So somebody's right. already got a computational yeah. problem could probably right. make a big improvement by utilizing your libraries. Right. Yeah, and I think we're seeing new, more of our new customers um, um, adopting the .NET, so by using our libraries. So we're probably seeing that even with newer customers than we are existing customers. So we're at PDC, so we're mm-hmm. some time of uh, we're like four months before .NET four actually ships. Mm-hmm. So, and are you dependent on the .NET four stack to make all this work? Yes. So officially, you're not releasing it. Right. Yet. We we will release about the same time as um, Studio as 10 launch. Is, yeah. yeah. So I mean, we've we March. just what we we just released a um, a new. Our 6.0 um, product, mm-hmm. which all that same new functionality, the new algorithms that were added to that class library, will be in our 6.5 release, but with the parallel extensions. Cool, mm-hmm. awesome. So, other other parallel things that you're using, maybe? Uh, are you looking forward to software transactional memory? Have you seen that? We're not really using that. It's pretty simple what we're doing. We're yeah. primarily doing parallel for parallel for each. Um, yeah. So it's not, re- we're really not doing anything fancy, yeah. you know, but it's just with the nature of mathematical algorithms, um, you've, you've got a f- lot of for loops and um, there's a lot of instances where you're just, you're crunching over the same, the same code, right. just looking for, you know, maybe you're trying to find a minimization or a maximization mm-hmm. and um, it's not even, you're not even dependent you know, so there's no dependencies. It's just an easy place to put in a for loop, and a lot of calculations are going on there. Sure, so. yeah. Interesting. And I imagine that's only going to get better with more cores. Right. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I could see a case where if a mm-hmm. customer's performance isn't good enough, they just mm-hmm. buy a bigger piece of hardware, and it's just going to be taken advantage of. Right. You know, so many times we find with software that new hardware doesn't help, but when you're utilizing processor extensions mm-hmm. and parallel coring right. and so forth, like right. now I can buy hardware and make a dramatic difference to the right. performance of the app. Right. Have you looked into Link about using Link for instead of you know for loops for for looking for things, doing Link queries against your data? We have not. See, we're not responsible for the data. These uh. th- this is like a general a general set of numerical right. algorithms. So the Person writing the application probably would right that they would probably do that. Mm-hmm. Where in our case, we're not responsible for the data. The data is being fed into the algorithm for whatever you know, whatever it is that they're doing. Whether it be, um, um, you know, yeah, you're building optimization. Functions. Pass in this data, you return a result. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. So where do where would someone go to get these extensions? Where's the if you got a website up? Yeah, I mean to to purchase our yeah, library. Yeah, this the IMSL libraries are available on um, www.vni.com. VNI. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the .NET version will be released at launch, so end of March. Correct. All right. Good luck, Jennifer. Thank you very much. Sounds very exciting. All right.
Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm